the focus of the message, anything else before I start? Okay. Focus of the message this morning and for next week as well is, is freedom. Freedom. Not that, that that's part of our message all the time. It's the gospel. Freedom. But we're going to specifically look at freedom. What do you think of when you hear the word freedom? Any, any thoughts? What did, I didn't hear that. Mel Gibson. Hmm. Imagine what's coming. Imagine that. Freedom. Broken chains. That's good. Good metaphor. Is that right? Did I say that right? metaphor? That's met- good. Uh, for us, the idea of freedom often retur- refers to those broken chains, that lack of restraint. Doing what we want when we want. You know, as Americans, we talk about freedom of, we have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, and other freedoms. But we also understand, and I think we get this on many levels, that freedom isn't necessarily free. Freedom must be fought for. Freedom must be grasped and taken hold of. I just want to, I do want to show a little clip from a a video that I hope will get us pumped up and ready to hear uh, God's word this morning. So if we could see that. I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as three men. And three men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives? But they'll never take our freedom! Freedom is something that we have to have to fight for. It's a free gift, but then we have to fight. To keep it. The New Testament Greek word for free or freedom is the word eleutheros. It means, it means not a slave, not in bondage, not under restraint, not obligated to others. It's said in contrast in our passage and other places in scripture to the Greek word for slavery, doulos, which means to be in bondage, to, to serve someone. In, in Galatians, Paul's contrasting these two opposites. The word freedom with the word slavery. Either you're a slave or you're free. Last week we saw what what Paul and the Galatians were enslaved to before coming to Christ. He called it the, do you guys remember? The elementary principles, the elementary spirits of the world. 
the basic fundamental principles that we see in every man-made religion. The idea that on our own, we can earn our salvation. For the Jew, that meant earning salvation through keeping the law. And therefore, they became slaves under the Mosaic law. For the Gentile, for the pagan, uh, Paul's day, that meant earning salvation by keeping the rules and regulations of that particular god or goddess in their area, that particular religion. That means they became slaves to pagan law, to pagan ritual. Paul also makes it clear that they were enslaved to, to gods that were by nature not gods. We talked about that last week. The origin of their enslavement, these elementary principles or spirits was, was demonic in nature. But the Galatians had been set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul had come to their province. He had planted churches. He had shared the gospel. By the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, they were free. No longer in bondage to the Mosaic law. No longer in bondage to pagan ritual. Jesus had fulfilled the law. He'd purchased them out of slavery with his own blood. They had been redeemed by Christ. They were free in Christ. And their freedom was more than just moving from slavery to being free. It was more than moving out of slavery. It was more than not having someone over them. It was the freedom that Christ brings means adoption into God's family. We saw that last week. Moving from from being slaves all the way to being sons, to being children of God, to being heirs to his kingdom. And as a child of God, they and we can experience true freedom. True freedom. Jesus said in John 8, 36, So if the Son sets you free, and that's what the Son had done for the people of Galatia and for us, you are free indeed. We move beyond freedom that says you can do anything you want. We move beyond the standard definition of freedom. We move to a greater, to a higher to a true freedom. And it still includes what you want, but what you want is from God. A freedom that says you can do and be what God the Father, the Creator, created you to do and be. We have a freedom now to live up to the potential that God created us to be. We have potential in Christ to be the best we can be. That's true biblical freedom. Not just coming out of slavery... Not just being able to choose in our own humanness what we want to do, but coming into the family of God, being given the gift of the Holy Spirit, being given the freedom to not only do what you want, but the desire to do what is right in the sight of God. A slave could be and can could be freed and and and, and sent out, and all they had would be the clothes on their back. That's a sort of freedom. But they're really not free to do much. They have no money. They have no friends. When we're freed, we're freed, and then we're adopted into the family of God, and we're given the freedom to accomplish all that God has for us. We're given full freedom. We're given the Holy Spirit. The problem was that the Galatians were going back into slavery. They had experienced all that. They had been freed, but they're moving back into slavery. 
And this is the heart of what Paul is combating, fighting for in this letter to the Galatians. And in verses 21 through 31, what we'll look at today of chapter 4, he fights with an illustration. He fights with an allegory. The allegory of Hagar and Sarah. It's written to persuade the Galatians and us not to follow the Judaizers, those that were teaching that you had to remain under the law, not to follow them into slavery with Hagar and Ishmael, but to follow Sarah and Isaac into freedom. The Judaizers were leading the Galatians back into slavery by teaching them that they had to follow the Mosaic law. So Paul introduces the allegory with a question. Verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Those who want, those who desire to come under the law, those that are teaching others that they need to be under the law, those that want to use obedience to the law as a means for earning God's favor, those who want a works-based religion, those who want slavery instead of a faith-based relationship which brings freedom. He says to them, do you not listen to the law? Now when we hear the word law, we often think of lists of do's and don'ts. Oftentimes the, the Ten Commandments come to mind. But the law was more than that. Sometimes the law referred, when you said the law, it referred to all the, the, all the New Old Testament. But more often than not, the law referred to the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These books were written by Moses and were referred to as the law. So when Paul says, so you, excuse me, so you not, so do you not listen to the law? He's saying, haven't you read the writings of Moses, the lawgiver? You're advocating keeping the Jewish law as a requirement for salvation. But do you even know what the law is all about? The law, the Torah, it teaches and it illustrates that salvation has never been through keeping the law. Salvation has always come through faith in the promise. Paul then gives an illustration from the law found in Genesis. And again, he turns to Abraham, the father of of the Jewish people. This is their origin point, and he keeps going back to it over and over, hammering in, look, this is how it all started. Remember this, for it is written, chapter Galatians 4, 22 and 23, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise, through promise. Let's go back and and review this story a little. Go back to Genesis and see what happened to Abraham, to Sarah, to Hagar, to Ishmael, and to Isaac. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, we find Abraham kind of, uh, he's bummed out. That's the NCT, from the NCT translation, the New Cliff translation of the Bible. Abraham was bummed out. He's bummed out because he and Sarah have no children. God had promised back in Genesis chapter 12 when he first called Abraham, when he came to Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees, and he promised Abraham that Abraham, through Abraham, would be a great nation. He would be the father of nations. But both he and Sarah were getting old. They were running out of time. If I may, they were older than artists is now. 
Can I do that? I'm sorry. Was that bad? She said it was okay. Abraham had no heir, no child to fulfill this promise. He thinks that the only possibility is Eleazar, his head servant. Because oftentimes, if a, if a man of wealth had no heir, th- their head servant would become their heir. But in verse 4, we read God's comfort to this bummed out Abraham. He says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man, Eleazar, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. God had promised and continues to promise that he's going to give Abraham a son, an heir. But he was going to do it in his own time, in such a way that Abraham and everyone else would know it was from God. There would be no doubt that the promise was fulfilled by God. Why? So Abraham and everyone else would see his power. They would give him glory. And that they would come to trust in him. They would come to trust solely on him. God, through Abraham, was creating a chosen people. And it needed to be clear that God, not man, was one, the one doing the creating. At first, Abraham did trust God. Remember, Genesis fifteen six. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him righteousness following this promise. But later, in Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah, his wife was... They were cohorts in this, weakened in their faith. They take matters into their own hands. They devise their own plan. Isn't that typical? Things aren't going like we think they should be going. God, we we think he's promised us this or that. Things aren't going well, so we jump in. We got to help him out. They use their own resources, their own abilities, their own thought process to help God fulfill his promise. Sarah gives Hagar, her handmaid, her slave, to Abraham so that she can bear a son for him, for them. And in Genesis 16, 15, it says, And Hagar bore Abram, Abram, his name hadn't been changed to Abraham, a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. So when Paul says in Galatians 4, 23, that Ishmael was born according to the flesh... It's not, I mean, we're all, in a sense, born according to the flesh. But what he's referring to is it means Ishmael is a product of self-reliance. Abraham stopped trusting in the God's power and instead relied on his own power to get a son, to get this promise moving along. But that wasn't God's plan. Ishmael was not the fulfillment of the promise. The fulfillment was yet to come. Fourteen years later, in Genesis 17, 16, we read, I, God speaking, will bless her, Sarah, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. She was already too old to have a child, and 14 years later, she's really too old to have a, a child, but God promises again. God is faithful to his promise. Remember this promise, this covenant was an unconditional covenant by God alone. And he's faithful to his promise. He says to Abraham that his wife, Sarah, will have a son. Despite Abraham and Sarah's doubt, God fulfilled his promise. And in Genesis 21.1, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Isaac was born not according to the flesh... 
Because his birth was a result of God's supernatural intervention in fulfillment of his promise. Hagar gave birth to Ishmael according to the flesh, man's, Abraham, Sarah's own efforts. Sarah gave birth to Isaac through the promise, God's supernatural intervention. So in Galatians 4.24 we read, so that's the, the background, that's the story behind the, excuse me, the allegory. Verse 24, the beginning. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. Paul sees an allegory, an illustration in these events. Hagar and Sarah represent two covenants. In verse 24 and 25, Paul focuses on Hagar and the covenant she represents. One covenant, one covenant is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Remember, the law was given to Charlton Heston, I mean Moses. I get those guys confused. Sometimes he's Ben-Hur, sometimes he's Moses. Uh, It was given on Mount Sinai. The law was given on Mount Sinai. And Paul is referring to Hagar as representing the covenant of the law. So how is Hagar like the covenant of the law? How is what happened in, in Hagar's life, some of which not to her own choosing, how is that like the covenant of the law? There are two, at least two similarities. In verse 23, if you remember, we saw Hagar's giving birth to Ishmael is done, how? According to the flesh. Abraham and Sarah use Hagar to try and get God's promised blessing by their own strength. They're no longer relying on God's power. They're no longer relying on him. They're not trusting in his promise. They're filled with fear and doubt. And so they do it on their own. And that's just what happened. That's just what happened with the law. The law given on Mount Sinai. As we saw a couple weeks ago, the law was given, why? To reveal transgressions and to guard against transgressions. To reveal and guard against transgression. But it very quickly became a means for earning favor with God. People thought, if I can keep the law, do the best I can, God will save me. God will be on my side. God will do what I want him to do. Like Abraham, who depended on his own resources, Hagar, to fulfill the promise, Israel began to depend on their own resources, their ability to keep the law, their holiness to reap the benefits of the promise. But both cases fail because of the flesh. Ishmael was born according to the flesh, not according to the promise. The promised Messiah would not come according to the flesh. Salvation would not come. A great nation would not come according to the flesh. And the law was similarly... In the same way, the law was unable to save. Why? Because in their flesh, the children of Israel couldn't keep the law. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, the law was weakened by the flesh. The law, if perfectly obeyed, would have been fine. But it couldn't be obeyed because it was there to reveal their transgressions. It was there to guard. All that Abraham in his own flesh produced by using Hagar was a son that couldn't be an heir. The son of a slave. All that Israel in their own flesh produced by using the law as a legalistic measure was their own slavery. 
their own bondage. And this leads to the second similarity between Hagar and the covenant of the law. Both of them bear children of slavery, for slavery. Verse 24 says that the covenant Hagar represents is from Mount Sinai, the law, bearing children for slavery. Since since Ishmael wasn't accepted as an heir, he was no better than his mother. He was a slave. Ishmael was born into slavery. And when the Israelites took the law as a means of salvation, they become slaves under the law, a law they couldn't keep. They became trapped, imprisoned to a covenant that they couldn't fulfill, a covenant that God never intended. And therefore, they're excluded from the blessings of God. They're slaves and cannot receive the inheritance. Paul then brings this allegory up to date, to present time, their present time. Now, Hagar, verse 25, the second part. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. This is a, is a direct attack, a direct calls fighting against these Judaizers who've come from where? From present-day Jerusalem. And in present-day Jerusalem, the Judaism of Paul's day, the law is seen as a means to achieve your righteousness before God. Your salvation comes through your ability to keep the law and that Judaism, that, that wrong Judaism, is now creeping into the church in Galatia. These Judaizers were advocating a gospel that included keeping the law. And all who received their gospel would go back into slavery. They would become the children of Hagar, of present-day Jerusalem, slaves to the law. As we saw last week again, that, that meant Slavery to these elementary principles, these spirits of the world. Slavery to gods that aren't gods, demonic in nature. Believing that you can earn God's favor is from the pit of hell. So you can see Paul's point to the Galatians. Don't follow these false teachers, these Judaizers. You know, they they may show you exactly how to become sons of Abraham. But be careful. They're going to show you how to be Ishmael, not Isaac. A slave, not an heir. Then in verse 26, Paul turns his attention to the other half of the allegory. Sarah and her child, Isaac. He doesn't go into the same detail with this half. He gets right up to date. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. The Jerusalem above represents really the dwelling place of God, where God is We could call it heaven. If we live by faith in God's gracious promise given to Abraham, fulfilled in Jesus Christ, then Sarah is our mother, according to the allegory. And our our place with our father is in the Jerusalem above. The inhabitants of the heavenly Jerusalem are free. They're free from the elementary principles of the world. They're free from the law, the work, from works, from bondage, from the flesh. They're free to do and be what their father and creator wants them to do and be. You know, before coming to Christ, a person has some freedom. They have freedom to do what's wrong in in many ways. But he's not free, a person 
before they come to Christ is not free to do anything right in the sight of God. The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes in, He transforms us. And He delivers the believer from, not only delivers us from sin, but He enables us for the first time to do what's right. He frees us to do and to be and to want to desire what is right. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now in in verse 27, Paul quotes from Isaiah 54, verse 1. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So we could talk about this for quite a while, what this means and stuff. But basically, the point for us today is is that Sarah was this, he's referring back to Sarah as this barren woman. Because she was barren, it seemed that God's promise to Abraham couldn't be fulfilled. It seemed like there was a, there was a it was stuck. The, the promise, wait, Sarah can't have a child. The promise can't be fulfilled. But rejoice, he says, because the children of the desolate bearing one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. The point of this verse is to show that, that many children, that God did fulfill his promise, that many children would come from the quote-unquote barren one, that through God's supernatural invent, intervention and power, there would be many children of the promise. And those many children include the believers there in the province of Galatia. Verse 28, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. Paul's speaking to the church in Galatia. Paul's reminding them of who they truly are. You know, that's, that's what Scripture does a lot. Because we forget. Because we're not that smart. It keeps going back and back and reminding, this is who you are in Christ. I know you're not experiencing that right now, but remember, this is who you are in Christ. Trust who you are in Christ. Go back and start acting like the person you are in Christ. Do the things you did in the beginning. John wrote to the church in Revelation. They are children of the promise, spiritual descendants of Sarah, spiritual Isaacs, not slaves, but free. But they're moving back to the law. They're moving from being spiritual Isaacs to being spiritual Ishmaels. They're moving from freedom to slavery. So he says, now brothers, now brothers in Christ, I've told you this story of Sarah and her son Isaac, the son of the promise, the son of the barren woman. I've told you that that her children would be many. And in fact, you, like Isaac, are children of the promise. You're descendant of Sarah spiritually. Every believer like Isaac is supernaturally conceived by the power of God, and we are born again, born again. From above, from the Jerusalem above where God dwells. Believers are children of God's promise to Abraham fulfilled in Christ Jesus. This is who you are, Paul says to the Galatians. Live like it. And then in verses chapter 4, 29 to 5, 1, Paul's going to give three results. Three things that happen to those who are children of the promise. And we're going to go from, from uh, five, chapter 5, verse 1, really should be included in this, so we're going to 
not stop at the end of the chapter, but of the first verse of chapter 5. Verse 29. But just as at the time, at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. So the first result, maybe this isn't too exciting, the first promise, the first result a child of the promise can expect is persecution. Persecution from those who are born according to the Spirit. Just as it was in that time when there was resentment, there's this resentment. Ishmael's this 14-year-old kid and Isaac comes, Isaac comes along and there's this resentment and this animosity between the two. Paul says, so it also is now. The spiritual descendants of Isaac who are born according to the Spirit can still today expect persecution by the spiritual descendants of Ishmael who are born according to the flesh. Throughout history, those who are born according to the flesh persecute those who are born according to the Spirit. Those who hold hold to salvation by works, I have to earn my salvation, trusting in their own performance, trusting in the law, hate those who proclaim salvation by grace without works. Paul had first Paul had firsthand experience in this. Before he was born according to the spirit, he was a zealous persecutor of those that were. He was the persecutor. And after he was born according to the spirit, after Acts chapter 9, his road to Damascus conversion experience, he was then persecuted by those who were not born according to the Spirit, but born according to the flesh, including these so-called Judaizers. So first, being a child of the promise means you will be persecuted by those who are not. Now that's the bad news, but good news follows. Verse 30, but what does the Scripture say? After the persecution, but what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So second, a child of the promise, the son of the free woman, will receive an inheritance that the son of the slave woman will not. The persecutors are going to be thrown out. And the persecuted will receive the the promise. They will receive their rightful inheritance. As, if you'll read the story, Genesis chapter 21, as Sarah had Hagar and Ishmael cast out of Abraham's household, with God's approval, so will their unbelieving descendants, those who live by works of the flesh, be cast out of God's household. No one outside the covenant of grace will receive anything from God. But those who trust, those who trust in the promise, those who trust in the promised Messiah, those who trust in Jesus Christ, will receive an inheritance. An inheritance I can't fully describe. An inheritance of love and grace and mercy, of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of eternal life and eternal fellowship with God the Father and His Son. An inheritance of the Holy Spirit, God dwelling within us. That's the inheritance of the child of the promise. And now thirdly, Galatians 4.31 and 5.1. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. 
For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Third, children of the promise have been set free. They, we are no longer slaves to those elementary principles of the world, to the law, to pagan ritual, to our own good works, to a continual process of seeking to earn God's favor, never knowing if you've done enough. We've been set free in Jesus Christ, free to do and to be what God the Father, the the God who created us, intends for us to do and be, free to enjoy our relationship with Him, free from the power of sin, free to overcome temptation, the temptation of this world, free to overcome it through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is given to us as a sign of our inheritance to come. Paul says emphatically that God's purpose for redemption was for freedom, for freedom of the believer. Christ set us free free through his death and resurrection. So as children of the promise, if, if we are children of the promise, if we've trusted in the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, we can expect a life that will experience some persecution. People aren't going to be happy with your relationship with God. They're not going to believe it. They're going to ridicule and persecute you and say, Isn't, don't, you have to do, don't you have to follow this rule or that rule? But both now and in the life to come, we've been given an inheritance from our Father. That inheritance doesn't come to those who are enslaved to man-made, legalistic, works-based religion. It only comes to those that have been freed in Jesus Christ. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've placed your faith in His finished work on the cross, then you, by the grace of God, are free to experience all that God has for you. Amen? But there's a problem. I wish I could finish there with the amen, but there's a problem. And that's why Paul's written this letter to the Galatians. The problem is, even after they, even after we, are set free, there's something in our flesh that keeps calling us back. Calling us back into slavery. We're like the children of Israel. Once set free from Egypt, they want to go back. You want to go back to Egypt, where, where there's, you know, leeks and onions by the Nile, if you remember the song. Going back into A yoke of slavery seems crazy. But the believers in Galatia are considering doing just that. To this Paul says, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Like an animal, if you picture an animal with that that yoke over them, pulling the plow, and, and the day is over, and they've been set free to go graze, and they keep running back, and they're trying to get back into the yoke. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to that yoke of slavery. And I believe this is, this is the response that this passage calls for us today, how we should respond. We have to stand firm and not submit to slavery. As William Wallace would put it, we must fight for our freedom. In our small group last, last Thursday, someone, I think it was Bob, Michael Eck, asked an obvious question here, if you haven't thought of it yet. Why would anyone, once freed from slavery, want to return? 
Why do we have to fight for our freedom? Shouldn't we just enjoy our freedom? It's like telling someone who's been rescued from a burning building, don't run back in. It seems crazy. But it happens. It's happening in the province of Galatia, and it, and it happens to you and I. We at times return to our slavery. We return to, false, to the false notion that we can, through our own efforts, earn the inheritance that God freely gives to us through Christ Jesus. We take our eyes off of Him. We stop putting our faith in Him and start putting our faith, our trust in ourselves. I can, I can do this thing. Why do we do that? Let me just give two quick reasons why we might return to slavery. I give these so that we can be aware, so that we can better fight against them, so that we can stand firm and not submit again to that yoke of slavery. There may be others. I I give two. One is external and one is internal. The first, external, and let's call it persecution. It's really, in in some ways, what the Galatians were experiencing. It It doesn't mean physical abuse. Those who are still under slavery will not not like the fact that we're free. They'll seek to draw us back in. They'll seek to ridicule you for your freedom in Christ. Again, this is what was taking place in Galatia. The Judaizers were, quote-unquote, persecuting the believers, telling them that the gospel they had received from Paul wasn't good enough. We need to resist this when it happens. When people or or other religious groups seek to convince us that there are things we must do to earn our salvation. Honor certain days. Eat certain foods. Not eat certain foods. Participate in certain rituals. Do certain things. Say certain prayers. Go to certain churches. Our world is full of people who've corrupted the gospel of Jesus Christ, the simple, plain gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of salvation by grace through faith alone. So beware of modern day Judaizers. This external temptation to go back under the law. To be part of their way of doing things. And there's some, you know, you get to be part of them. The second reason we return to slavery is internal. Let's call it pride. Deep inside, in our old nature, in our flesh, we believe that that it's possible for us in our own efforts to please God. We believe that we're somehow special. And that God will be impressed with our goodness if we do enough, if we do it in the right way, if we do the right things at the right time, God will accept us. We, like Abraham, like to take matters into our own hands. For if we can, in our own efforts, earn God's favor, then we can say, hey, look at me. Look at what I did. I did it. We seek to receive the glory for our own salvation. But the Bible teaches that salvation only comes to those who admit their complete, total inability. No chance of being good enough. Not even close. Salvation only comes to those who put their complete trust in the promise of God. The promise that He will and has saved us through Jesus Christ. 
And when we do that, who gets the glory? God. It's a matter of us wanting the glory for ourselves instead of giving it to God, that pride that, that we can do it. So as we close this morning, I'd encourage you, as I encourage myself, to resist those external attacks, those attacks that seek us to convince, seeks to convince us that we need to do this or that or the other. Some, sometimes those attacks come from, from within the church itself, that there are certain things we must do and be in order to earn the salvation that God freely gives. And also re- resist, maybe this is where you find yourself today, resist that eternal, internal attack that's seeking to gain glory. Oh, I can look at me. I can do this. I'm different from others. Instead of giving God the glory for your salvation. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Fight against persecution and pride. Fight to remain free in Christ, free to enjoy the inheritance that God has given you in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you for freedom. Thank you that for freedom you set us free, that we can live and enjoy a relationship with you. Lord, that you've entered into our lives and you've changed us. You've changed us into people that are truly free, that are free to follow you. Free to be what we were created to be. Free to fulfill the purposes that you've given us. Free to be children of God, Lord, and that you've given us uh, an amazing inheritance. Lord, thank you. We praise you. We honor you. We give you glory and honor for that, Lord. And I pray for myself. I pray for each person here that we would, we would live in that Lord, we would live in that freedom, that freedom that the Holy Spirit gives us to overcome sin and temptation, to overcome the pride that so easily besets us, Father. Lord, I pray that that we would stand firm. I pray we would fight. Fight to remain free, free in Jesus Christ, in your name. Amen.